the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, especially on a day like this where the streets are a bit wet and slick, the safest way to call if you're driving is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and you will be connected to our studio producer. Hope you had a great day yesterday in church. We did. Lots and lots of people were here, and um, some people got saved. That's always the coolest thing. Um, and I pray that same thing happened to your church. Every time somebody gets saved, doesn't matter what church they're in, we're one person closer to that full number of Gentiles coming in and Jesus returning for his church. And I pray you had a great opportunity to be a servant of God to the people who gathered on the Lord's Day yesterday. Um, tonight, just to give you a little bit of an update, we've got our men's and women's Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Also, the high school and junior hires will be there as well. You can make it a family affair. Uh, ladies, Paula will be teaching tonight uh, on the, on the, uh, during the Bible study. And uh, Pastor Ken, of course, will be teaching the men. Uh, that starts at 7 o'clock. The ladies portion can be viewed live stream at calvarysa.com. Well, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls. There's a lot going on, and I'm sure there's a lot on your heart as well. My first question comes from, I think, a question that we talked about last week sent by somebody else. It's from Lynette uh, from our email inbox, and she says, uh, at, the each, at the end of each day of creation, God said there was evening and there was morning. Could your interpretation of Daniel 8.14 be incorrect? The 1150 days is only 110 days before the Antichrist stops the burnt offering in the third temple. Lynette, I don't know. I, I, evidently, I wasn't really clear in answering the question the other day. The, the, uh, the passage of Scripture literally says, uh, let me read it. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days there shall be... Uh, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, some of the translations, that's the King James, some of the translations say uh, 1100 or 2350 um, morning and evening sacrifices, and they're thinking that's what's going to be combined, but that's not what's being communicated here. The real, uh, and I'm no Greek or Hebrew scholar, make no mistake, but um, the, 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 the real reading of the passage of Scripture is 
um, 2,300 mornings and evenings. And that literally is a very Jewish way of saying 2,350 days. Or, I'm sorry, 2,300 days, not 50. That's the 1,150 that you were talking about. So the 2,300 mornings and evenings, it's just a very Jewish way of saying a day consists of a morning and an evening. And that's the point in the Genesis account. That, that's the Holy Spirit being as clear as he can to indicate that he means literal 24-hour days on creation. Six literal days, the morning and the evening, or the evening and the morning, because a Jewish time set is different, a little backwards. But um, I believe that this says uh, 2,300 days is what it's saying here. Now, uh, it is possible to read it the other way, but then you'd have to wonder why um, it, it's always the other way. Uh, the, the, the word for days always represents a 24-hour day. Um, and, and there's just no precedent in Scripture for counting a day this way and then dividing it in half as you've done. So I don't know. Now, here's a couple of things that we can, can, can cling to. The date when the temple was cleansed is well established. It was December 25th, 165 B.C., if you count back 2,300 days from then, we come to the year when Antiochus Epiphanes began his persecution in 171 B.C. If we were to take it to mean 1,150 days instead of 23, well, then we've got all kinds of math gymnastics to do to, to make the, the days come out. Uh, there are some commentators or Bible scholars who, um, who who read it the way you have, 1,150 days, not 2,300 days. But again, there's a, a, a lot of difficulties with that interpretation. To answer your question, is it possible that my interpretation is wrong? Of course. I'm not infallible. Um, but what you do is you interpret the Bible uh, with a consistent hermeneutic. Uh, one of the problems with... One of the problems with um, um, reading it 1,150 days, uh, meaning a morning and an evening, and then cutting that 2,300 number in half, is that throughout the centuries, um, the people that, that misinterpreted this passage um, um, really ended up giving birth to some aberrant um, religious movements um, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and a couple of others. So uh, I, I just don't think it's 1150 days. I really do believe. I really do believe that it's 2300 days in this case. Hope that helps. And if I'm wrong, I'm, I'll be wrong again. I've been wrong before. So I hope that helps, Lynette. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from... Did I find it here? This one is anonymous. Um, he or she wants to know, is adopting a child when you don't ever want to marry wrong? Um, not for me to judge. Um, when I when I answer that question, uh, I don't know your heart. I don't know what the Lord's spoken to your heart. Uh, so, so I can't say it's right or it's wrong. Uh, I say often to our church here at Calvary Chapel that motive is everything. So this is one of those questions where you're going to have to decide um, what's true for you. What is your motive for wanting a child and not wanting to marry? I really, really, um, I'm choosing my words carefully here. Uh, it distresses me, I think is the best way to say it. It distresses me when uh, people don't want what God wants for them, and they haven't checked with God. So Anonymous, the first thing I would do if I were you, and you wanted to have a child, I would say, Lord, the normal way of having a child is is to be married. And then you, you'd have to examine your heart. Why don't you want to be married? And if you're not married, and that's the normal way God says, be fruitful and multiply, um, th then, then you got to really question why you want a child. So uh, this is between you and the Lord. Uh, Romans 14.23 says anything not of faith is sin, and it would be wrong for me to judge this thing. I can say this. 
it is by far healthier for a child to be born into a family, a nuclear family, a husband and a wife, um, raising their children to know and to love Jesus Christ. And um, again, without knowing why you don't want to marry, um, and without being able to sit and talk with you and say, okay, why do you want a child and not be married? Uh, it would be impossible for you to determine uh, what your motives are. So um, this is between you and the Lord. It's not something that I can answer for you. So I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Here's one from Tricia. She says, I'm being forced at work to call people by their preferred pronouns. I know it's a lie, so how do I deal with it? I don't want to lose my job. Tricia, this is going to be something, or not going to be, this is something that lots and lots and lots of people are facing. Um, uh, and it's something you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to be faithful to what's true? And in the process of doing that, be faithful to God. Or are you going to value your job more than you value being truthful. Uh, I could not use preferred pronouns. Now, I've shared with Paula, we've talked about these kinds of things before, and I will call anybody by any name they want to be called. If there is a boy whose name is Cynthia, I'll call him Cynthia. If that's what he wants. Um, but, but I refuse to call a biological male a female. And vice versa, a biological female is never going to be a male. And we're being pressured with such, such aggression to give in to a lie and basically admit to everybody what we know is true is no longer true. I mean, the easiest thing in the world is to determine gender. And there's not 50 of them or 90 of them or 100 of them. There's, there's two genders. There's male and female, period. Now, I understand gender identity. I understand problems connecting with a, a particular gender. I, I've known uh, women who felt like they were in the wrong body. I've known men who felt like they're in the wrong body. But you see, the problem isn't going to get better by letting them pretend that they're in a body that God didn't give them. We're created in the image of God. And I think this, this uh, the lie, there, there's, there's clearly... Uh, Tricia, a spirit of deception in this world. And it is satanic. And I, I uh, to, to see so many people just sort of check their brains in so that they can be socially or politically correct or so they can save a job is simply not doing anybody any favors. And uh, as I said, it's really easy if somebody is uh, in a male body biologically uh, then they don't have any right to change it. They simply don't have any right at all to change it. Uh, God is the creator. Uh, he's the one who, who created male and female in his own image. We don't have the right, any of us, to tell God he was wrong, period. Now, we can, and I understand most people in this situation, all of them, in fact, in this situation, are unbelievers, and it's easy, I say all the time, if you, if you don't believe that that which is true, you'll believe anything is true. And this idea that feelings can determine biological gender is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And we're not doing anybody any favors by allowing them to believe that there's something they're not that is only going to cause more difficulties down the road and the problems they hope will be solved by by becoming the gender they identify with, uh, they're going to find out that those problems aren't solved at all, that they're only going to get worse. So, Tricia, I would say tell the truth. Um, be willing to pay whatever cost telling the truth results in. Um I understand nobody wants to lose their job, but we've got an obligation to tell the truth. I hope this doesn't sound too crass for you, Trisha, or for anybody listening, but uh, I said at the beginning of answering this question that gender identity is the single easiest problem in this world to solve. It's, it's, it's a confusion that can be wiped away easily. All one has to do is to take off their clothes, stand in a mirror, and then choose the gender that you see with your own eyes. Your DNA doesn't change. 
Your hormones don't change. As I think most of you are aware, um, our nation is going through a crisis of truth. We, we just had a biological male swimmer win an NCAA swimming championship against women, all the while with his huge, huge male body. And I'm talking about in all of it. He's obviously taking testosterone-suppressing drugs. But he's depriving women who've worked really, really hard of their chance to be rewarded for their athleticism, for their excellence. And everybody's afraid to say what is obvious to everyone. That was a man they were swimming against, and it is unfair. And this is an attack. You know, we're supposed to support female rights, especially under Title IX in athletics. Uh, and, And this is a direct assault on the integrity of women's sports. It's not fair that a woman who works really, really hard and becomes really, really good suddenly in a, in a national championship race has to race against a biological male. It's simply not fair. We've seen the same thing, by the way, uh, in boxing. We've seen it in, in uh, mixed martial arts contests. Uh, we're going to see it now over and over and over. Uh, track and field has has dealt with this problem for years uh, reasonably successfully, but pretty soon there's not going to be any dividing line. Whatever you say you are, that's what you can be. And I think it is a tragedy. And Tricia, the thing that is the most alarming to me and one of the reasons that I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming soon, sooner than at any time in my life. And I've always been a proponent. Jesus could come at any minute. But but when, when this spirit of deception is going out in the world and otherwise smart, sometimes even brilliant people will defend something which is so obviously and ridiculously incorrect, untrue, a lie. Well, then we know that there is satanic involvement behind the scenes. So, Tricia, stand to your ground. Call them by the name they want to be called in. That's just kindness. Be kind. Be loving. Share your faith in Jesus Christ with them. But don't lie. Because the minute we lie, they know that our faith really doesn't mean that much to us at all. So I hope that helps, Tricia. 340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Gilbert. He says, I really want to read the Bible, but every time I start to, I get an almost sick feeling. Is there an answer for this? Gilbert, I can tell you exactly what the answer is. And and I'll tell you from my own personal experience. When I first got saved, um, uh, a friend bought me a, a brand new, genuine leather King James version of the Bible. I was so proud of it. It had my name written on it, Brother Ron Arbaugh. Uh, imprinted on it. I was so proud. It was my very first Bible. And I was so proud to have it. I took it with me to my office at work because that's where I spent most of my time in those early days. And I just have it on my desk. And and I knew I, I was supposed to read it. Christians are supposed to read the Bible. We instinctively know it when we get saved. And every time I'd pick up the Bible, I would get nauseous. Every time. And I would start to read it. My mind would wander. I'd feel like I was going to throw up. And, and, and I'd just put it down and instantly I'd have relief. And I struggled, Gilbert, with this for six months. And finally, one day, I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I've got to really dig into this Bible. And I decided I was going to do it. If I got sick, I got sick. didn't matter how I felt. I was going to do it no matter what. And I just persevered through it. And the sickness feelings went away very, very quickly. God met me there, and he will meet you there. So here's what you have to do. You just have to do it. Period. You just have to do it. The Lord will protect you. An enemy is going to try to stop you. And it might even scare you a little bit here, Gilbert. It might just mean, as I didn't know at that time, 
um, when I was getting sick um, just might mean that you're called to be a pastor. That's what it meant for me. And that was an all-out spiritual attack to try to keep me from reading the word of life. So, Gilbert, just do it. It's that simple. No matter the consequences, no matter how you feel, no matter how fiercely the enemy attacks, um, ask God for help, open it, and discipline yourself to do it every day. Here is a question from Raphael. If something Jesus did is only recorded in one gospel account, are we to take it seriously? Um, Raphael, of course we are. Every word in your Bibles, whether it's something Jesus did, something Paul did, Peter, James, Jude, or any of the other uh, gospel writers or, or Bible writers, uh, if it's in the Bible one time, it's the very word of God. It is the, the breath of God, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, pushing the pins of men. All scripture is literally God-breathed. And so, yes, how many times does Jesus have to say something to make it valuable if he even mentions it? Now, it is also true that when Jesus repeats himself, and, and Jesus is I am, um, you know, I, I, I repeat myself a lot because I don't have a whole lot extra to say. Jesus repeated himself a lot, and he had everything to say. But he understood communication. He understood the importance. So when Jesus repeats himself, verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you, really what he's saying is pay attention. Now, if you're referring to the the uh, certain things that one gospel writer uh, include and the others don't, yeah, it's just as much the word of God as the other things are. When we see certain things repeated in gospel accounts. Remember, all of the gospel writers had a different perspective or a different purpose in writing their gospel. Matthew, for example, uh, the purpose of Matthew's gospel, the most Jewish of all of the gospel accounts, is to prove that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. That's why you'll see uh, it was written or as as told in Scripture, or this was to fulfill what was written. That was simply um, Matthew saying, this is the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. Mark's Gospel, the one that we're currently studying here on Sundays right now, uh, Mark's Gospel, which is Peter's account of Jesus' ministry, uh, Mark's Gospel presents Jesus as a servant of man. He didn't come to be served, but rather to serve. And so Jesus... In Mark's gospel, there's a different perspective. So Mark would leave out some things that Matthew would include, and he would add some things that Matthew didn't include because they had a different purpose. Uh, Luke's gospel is written to present Jesus Christ as the Son of Man or human. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And uh, Luke's gospel presents Jesus, the the only non-Jewish writer, by the way. Uh, Luke presents Jesus as as a, a, a human being. And then, of course, John's Gospel, written much later than the three synoptic Gospels, John's Gospel presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God, or God in human flesh. That's the emphasis on his miracles uh, over and over and over. Um, John wants us to understand that when Jesus promises eternal life, when he said it is finished on the cross, that we now belong to him. And so he was God in human flesh. So that's the reason there would be differences uh, in what some of the gospel accounts say. But when somebody says, yeah, but he only said this once and he said this other times, there are some things when they say, well, Jesus never said anything about. That's, that's when we have to understand that that every word, whether it's the Gospels, the, the Epistles, the Book of Acts, Revelation, every word carries exactly the same weight because they were spoken by God himself. So yeah, we take every word of our scriptures seriously. And the number of times 
uh, something is repeated or recorded. Just yesterday, in fact, in our Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, uh, I was teaching on the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, one of the things that I said was this is the, other than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this is the seminal miracle in our New Testament. It's the only one recorded by all four gospel writers. And that means it's really important. And God has a lesson that he wants us to learn and learn and learn and learn again. And so that's why it's shared in all four of the gospel accounts. So Raphael, take everything that's written in your Bible very seriously. Um, The Holy Spirit will affirm in your heart um, what he wants you to learn from those passages of Scripture. But don't discount anything that's written in the Bible. Show yourself approved by studying. A workman rightly dividing the word. And I promise you, Raphael, God will honor that in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. Raphael, thank you for the question. Well, on this wet Monday, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have our final 30 minutes ahead of us. 340-9585. We'll open with this question from Matthew. He says, I know there's no condemnation for those in Christ. But why do I still feel condemned so many times? Matthew, there's a couple of reasons. Now, first, and this is the most important one. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Examine your heart daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. One of the reasons that we feel condemned is because we're guilty of stuff. There's unrepentant sin. And guilt, I always say guilt is a good thing if you're guilty. It gives you the opportunity to say, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Paula, bless her heart, she always says, I love uh, conviction. That's because she knows that being convicted and responding to that conviction keeps her away from the place where the enemy can condemn her. So here's the thing. Some people feel condemnation because they're guilty and they haven't dealt with their sin. Now, I hope that's not the normal reason, but uh, no doubt that's that's something that's true a lot of times. Matthew, the second reason that people feel condemned is because that's what the enemy of our souls is an expert at. He's an expert at making us feel guilty. You know, anytime you repent of a sin, you've, you've said something or you've done something, or maybe it's just you haven't done something you know God wanted you to do, and, and when you repent of that genuinely, and a genuinely uh, repentant heart is one that changes or makes changes in his or her life. And um, once you've done that and you said, I'm sorry, then you can know that the condemnation that you're feeling, think, feeling comes from the enemy. And then all you have to do is use the word of God. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you say, okay, well, I've repented. I have no outstanding sin between me and the Lord. And so the reason I'm feeling condemned is because it's a lie from the enemy of my soul. And he's trying to cause me to stumble. And then you have to, by faith, believe what the word says. There is no condemnation. So if I've repented and if I'm feeling condemned, then I'm in a spiritual war. And the enemy is the one who's causing all the difficulty. So those really are the only two reasons for feeling condemned. Let me give you a quick um, uh, illustration of how it's easy to find out whether you're being condemned or convicted by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, we know that's from God. 
Because he's talking to you about you. He's getting you to make changes. He's getting you to make sure your your heart is right with God. If condemnation, on the other hand, drives you away from the Lord, conviction drives you to Jesus, condemnation drives you away from Jesus, and that's one way you can always know that you're being condemned by the enemy because when you take those condemning thoughts or feelings to the Lord, he will reassure you and wipe them out and um, and and uh, you don't have to worry about the condemnation. So condemnation draws you away from God. Conviction draws you closer to God. So Matthew, it's a matter of identifying the source and then responding appropriately. Jennifer asks, uh, Pastor Ron, can you discuss what walking in the Spirit looks like. Uh, Jennifer, I don't have to. I can do it. You can do it from from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So when you're walking in the Spirit, that's exactly what people are going to see coming from your life. You know, Jennifer, it's easy. If you get up in the morning and you're angry, that's flesh. You've got to die to the flesh, invite Jesus to take his place on the throne of your heart. And that's always been a good word picture that's worked for me. I, I When I get up in the morning, I know we've all got a throne in our heart. And by that, I mean a, a place of authority. And we have to make the choice every day who's going to sit on that throne. And I don't wake up the best. And so I'm aware that um, I'm, I'm always sitting on the throne of my heart. Uh, it's me, my flesh. And I've got to realize unless I step down and invite Jesus to take that place on the throne of my heart, the place of authority, then I'm going to mess up if I don't do that. So I start very early in the morning. To, to, to get rid of Ron and invite Jesus to be in control. And when I say all the time, just be with Jesus, when you're in his presence, then your life will be filled with the good fruit of the Spirit of God. And so it's real easy, Jennifer, whenever you're doing something, whenever a behavior is coming from you, all you have to do is identify the source of the behavior. Uh, beginning in chapter 5, verse 19, um, um Paul identifies the bad fruit of the flesh. So if you're behaving that way, if you're angry or if you're raging or if you're, you're, you're cynical about things, that's, that's flesh, and you can identify it. Uh, if, you're, if you are loving somebody who's difficult to love, you know, well, I'm walking in the Spirit. If you're being kind, then you're walking in the Spirit. Love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13 says. So if you're, you're, you're eager to forgive people and not hold grudge against them, then you're walking in the Spirit. So, Jennifer, it's really easy to determine whether we're in the flesh or in the Spirit. Um, all you have to do is go to the Word of God and be honest enough to identify. Sometimes, you know, we know that anger um, uh, and sinning in our anger uh, is is a horrible thing. It's bad bad fruit of the flesh. But sometimes we'll convince ourselves, but I have every right to be angry. That's flesh. Whenever you're defending yourself, that's flesh. So when you walk in the Spirit, then everybody's going to be able to see that there's something different about you. I always like the description in the book of Acts where where the religious leaders are, are trying to make sure that, that nobody else follows the disciples and, and all they could say is that they noticed that those men, though they were ordinary and unschooled, they noticed that these men had been with Jesus. So, Jennifer, walking in the Spirit is walking with Jesus. Now, when you are in the Spirit, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is what you meant um, or, or what I already t- discussed, but when you're walking in the Spirit, then that life will be a life that's really without burden. It doesn't mean you won't have difficult things. But but you'll realize that Jesus is the one carrying those burdens. And uh, he said his burden is easy and his yoke is light. And so there's not any pressure on us. It's a walking in the Spirit describes a life of fulfillment and joy and peace. 
Again, not perfectly, but the thing is, if somebody's walking in the Spirit and we make a wrong decision or we, we, we demonstrate some bad fruit of the flesh, instantly the Holy Spirit will convict you of it and you can get rid of it right away. You can simply, oh God, I'm so sorry. And I have to do that all the time. You know, it's not instinctive for me, Jennifer, to think the best of everybody. So when I get those thoughts that the enemy is so faithful to bring about somebody, I have to remember, well, but, but God, you love him or you love her. And because you love them, I need to love them because I'm here for you. And that's what walking in the Spirit looks like. It's, it's not holding unforgiveness toward anybody. Jennifer, one of the things in my life that has given me such freedom is I can honestly say with thousands of radio listeners, I've said this in front of the people in my church who know me the best, I can honestly say I, there's not a single person in this world that I'm holding unforgiveness toward or have a grudge for, toward. None at all, not even one. And it's such a wonderfully freeing way to live. And so that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. When we are... Um, holding on to um, um, unforgiveness, uh, we're walking in the flesh. doesn't matter how you rationalize it, we're walking in the flesh. So, Jennifer, I hope that helps. Let's go to Reuben on line one. Reuben, I've been waiting for your call. How are you feeling? Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron, Pastor Ron. Can you hear it in my voice? <laughs> yeah, I can. I really can. This is the, This is the voice I like. You know what? I mean, ups and downs in my life. And, you know, just when, oh, my God, the enemy thought he had me on the ropes, thought he had just about to knock me out and just said, you're out, you're gone, I've defeated you. No, no, no. I have to tell you this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brief about it because, you know, I could be long-winded. But I have to preface this with... <laughs> I have to preface this with this. This is not scripted. I do not know you from Adam in person. Correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. I've never been to your, I've never been to your church. You and I have never spoken off, off of the line and said, okay, I need you to call in. And the reason I'm saying that is because there's a lot of skeptics out there who say, no, this guy's not. No, he's not legit. He's not for real. It's all... You know, I'm just saying because there are people out there that don't believe in the power of Jesus. That power heal—I mean, Jesus heals the same as He did ye years ago. He does it today. <laughs> okay, so as y'all know, I was in the hospital with COVID and double pneumonia, double pneumonia. Okay, and Friday, Thursday, I was really bad. Friday, I was really worse. Okay, just really quick. Friday morning, the doctor walks in. He says, "Ruben." I got some bad news for you. Your oxygen levels are extremely low. We're going to have to put you on a ventilator, and and uh, your 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 kidneys are failing, and blah 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 blah. And I just looked at him, and I'm like, no, 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 no. And I fought. And then Friday when I called you, I was like, you know, you heard me. I was like, come on, I don't want to. Yeah, don't, I don't, that was Thursday. Mama, that was Mama, Mama Paula was on the line. It was Thursday. I'm afraid to die, and all that, you know. And because the enemy was telling me, Ruben, you're going to die. You're going to die. So all day Friday, I fought. I fought, and not once did I pray. And I'm not going to lie to you. Not once did I pray. <laughs> Thursday, I didn't pray. Friday, I did not pray. I was giving it to the enemy. And then about 7 o'clock Friday night, I literally heard, literally, literally heard a voice that said, Reuben, are you going to tell me who I'm not, or are you going to tell me who I am? And I'm just like, Okay. So I prayed like I never prayed. I told the 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 guy that that answered the phone that they had put me in this special room that had this glass where this CNA was, so she could see me at all times in case something happened to me. They were there 24 hours a day, and then um, I said, "Lord, but she's there. She's looking at me, like literally just looking at me." And says, "Well, what are you gonna do? Pray?" So I prayed. Needless to say, I prayed for an hour and a half. <laughs> And I'm telling you, I prayed like I've never prayed before. Um, not this big charismatic, you know, tongue, tongue, you know, thing. I just prayed, but I prayed loud enough to where she could hear me. 
and and I know that she was like looking at me. What's wrong with this dude? God, man, this guy's crazy or something. <laughs> so, so um, still Friday night, I couldn't sleep. It is what it is. Uh, I woke up Saturday morning. They they came in and brought me my breakfast, which was just three pieces of toast, this little sausage, <laughs> little itty bitty sausage. I'm like, what is that gonna do for me? And the doctor walks in, like literally just storms in with no mask or nothing. I'm like, uh, what are you doing? You have no mask. He goes, Ruben, I cannot explain this. Don't you love when they say that? Don't you love when they say, I cannot <laughs> they explain hate, that? They hate, what? Ruben, they, they hate using the M word, don't they? Exactly. They're just like, yeah. they're like I, can't, I cannot explain it. What? Ruben, your oxygen levels are perfect. Your blood is immaculate it's clean it's (laughs) good what happened and i looked at him jesus happened that's what happened and then he tells me this well ruben look this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna take you off of all these ivs but i'm just gonna keep you here just to observe you just to make sure that your oxygen levels are gonna be okay i said no 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 you said everything was fine i'm going home today and he was like, are you sure? I said, no, no, no. You said, I said, I'm, he goes, oh, Ruben, okay, like, well, at least do this for me. He goes, let me give you this little pulsometer. He goes, check your oxygen levels. Make sure they're above 90 every time you put it on. For five minutes, make sure they're above 90. And they've been above 90, 98, 95, 94. Oh, wow. Not once has it dropped See, below that- 90. <laughs> but thank See, that, those, my those lord mid upper 90s that's the Christ. that's the wheelhouse right there oh I'm Ruben, thank you, you Pastor, for this you know you, well, i had to tell you and you know what i fell asleep yep. today a little bit earlier and i just woke up a little after 4 30 a little like right at 4 30 and i looked at the clock i said oh he's at mid-break let me go wash my face right quick. Like if i was going to be on tv with you <laughs> i said let me call oh. him but but man, Pastor Ron, God bless you and everybody. This is God is so good. God is so wonderful. Ruben, so I'm many, so many you. people are praying for you constantly. Uh, it has been just a blessing to watch, and and I want to give glory to God and thank Him for touching you and Amen. sparing you and sparing the rest of us all the sin. Now you mentioned a moment ago you wouldn't know me from Adam if you saw me, so just keep an eye out. I'll be the tall, thin, good-looking guy uh, who looks maybe 20 years younger than my age when you see me. God bless you, my friend. Thank you very, very much for the call. Yeah, bless your heart. See, God God shows off sometimes. We don't know why he heals sometimes and other times he doesn't. But but I can tell you that Reuben has been through a period of testing with physical uh, ailments that, that, um, I mean, I don't know. Very many people in 27 years as a pastor who have suffered physically as much as Reuben has. And he's been faithful to trust the Lord. He's had, as he said, very honestly, uh, he's had his down moments, those times where he thought, how can this be? Uh, but praise the Lord. He is. Uh, uh, he was touched by the Lord. That's, that's really, really good. That's really good. Oh, I'm so grateful for you, Reuben. Here's a question that was just called into the studio anonymously says, is it okay, this is a, a young man, is it okay for me to have long hair like my sister? Will God be pleased with me? Um, anonymous, of course it's okay. And of course God will be pleased with you. He's pleased with us because we're accepted in the beloved. He's pleased that you want to be pleasing to him. So yes, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with your hair, how long it is or how short it is. None of that matters at all. Now, you might have been reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians or somebody brought it up based on that. But the thing that God is not pleased is when men try to dress like or act like women or vice versa, when women dress like or act like men. No, God's not pleased with that. But that has nothing whatsoever to do with the length of your hair. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart for Jesus. And you even asking this question screams how badly you want to please the Lord. So, yeah, it's okay to have long hair. 
I used to tell my boys, you can have your, wear your hair any way you want. That wasn't a battle that we thought was important. But here's what I told them. You can wear your hair any way you want. It can be as long as you want it to be. But if it's not clean, then it's all going to come off. You take care of it. You make sure it's clean. And other than that, nothing else matters. And, um, yeah, God's pleased with you. So enjoy your long hair. If that's the way you like it, enjoy your long hair. I just went to a pastor's uh, conference in Houston a couple of weeks ago now. And I saw an old friend of mine from uh, uh, Oklahoma City. And uh, he's got a full head of gray hair. But but hes uh, I haven't seen him for a couple of years. And his hair was way longer than his shoulders. Now he had it under a ball cap. But he had all this long hair. And I told him, I said, his name is Ken. I said, Ken, you look 15 years younger. And it was great. So, yeah, we're here. Jesus probably had long hair. Many of his contemporaries had long hair. Culturally, we go in and out of those phases. Um, um, so, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy your hair. Don't listen to the enemy and don't listen to people. Just let God smile on you. Good question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Paula. Now, this isn't my Paula, I don't think. Uh, but she says, in Acts chapter 19, people received the Holy Spirit after they were saved. I thought we got the Holy Spirit as soon as we were saved. Paula, you need to read that passage more carefully. Uh, this is a question that I get quite often uh, from Acts chapter 19. It's the, the, uh, the, the disciples um, that Paul encountered uh, in Asia Minor in Ephesus. Um, and, and Paul, listening to them talk, noticed that there was something missing in their walk. And they were disciples, but they were disciples of John. You see, the only baptism that they'd heard about was the baptism of repentance. So these men weren't Christians. We see the word disciples and automatically equate that with being Christians. That's not the case. This is like Apollos. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching about a Christ who was to come, and clearly he didn't have all the information, so they took him home, they fed him, and they expounded the word of God more completely to him. In other words, what they told him was, that, and, and Apollos was a, a disciple who'd been baptized uh, with John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. They told him, the, the Christ that you've, been preaching about. Well, he's actually been here, and you can imagine how excited Apollos was. Well, that was exactly the case in uh, Ephesus. Um, the disciples that he encountered there were not regenerate in the way we understand that they were not born again. And what Paul would have done is to pray for them. He would have shared the, the, the rest of the story, and then he would have prayed for them, laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit would have fallen upon them. So they were not filled with the Spirit uh, initially because they weren't yet converted believers. They were seeking. God always rewards those who are diligent to seek him. And so when Paul prayed for them and they received the Holy Spirit, that was their salvation experience, Paula. Good question. Thank you very, very much. When we see things like that, we have to really look at the passage of Scripture carefully because the word disciple does not mean believer. In, in the ancient world, it just meant they were a follower or a student of somebody. And until you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus, you're not born again. Bruce asks, is there, different, is there a difference uh, in the way a church should minister to in-person versus online church people? Uh, Bruce, I think there's a lot of churches still trying to figure out the answer to this question. You know, this is a relatively new phenomenon in the world that we live in. Um, so so naturally, there has to be a difference. And as a pastor, we want to minister to everybody, those who are here and those who are not here. But I need to, I need to be really direct in answering this question for you, Bruce, because watching church online is not being in church. Uh, I know a lot of people have gotten used to it and, and even prefer it. It doesn't require require um, uh, as much from us, um, but it's not being in church. 
And so uh, I think the line that I've tried to walk, Bruce, is that we minister to people uh, in person differently because they're actually a part of the body. And because they're a part of the body, uh, we can hug them and we can teach them and we can put them to work. And I, by, by that, I mean we can use their gifts. That's what really the church body is to be. Uh, to online church people, we want to, to provide the word for them. But we also, here at Calvary Chapel, we've tried to exhort them repeatedly to get back to church. It doesn't matter if it's safe. I had I ran into some really good friends yesterday. I've known them for a very, very long time. And, and they haven't been in church for a while because of the COVID outbreak. And, and he looked at me yesterday and he says, oh, it's so good to be back in church. We were away because we were afraid of the COVID epidemic, but, but we know it's safe now. Well, it's not safe yet. But you see, this is just the work that God was doing in their heart because they needed to be here. It was so good to see them. It was interesting because Paul and I had just been talking about them and praying for them uh, the day before. And, and and our conversation was, oh, I hope I get to see you. And I put their names in it. I haven't seen them for a while. I hope they're okay. I pray all is well. And I got to see him yesterday. And God was really kind to us. And we got to, to see them. Um, but but we, we, we need to keep exhorting the people who are watching online to get back to church in person because that's what a body is. And as much as we'd like to believe that God will accommodate our fears and things like that, what we got to do is we got to trust him and we got to do what he asks us to do. We got to be about the father's business. Wow, that second half hour went really fast. I wasn't prepared for that. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Remember our men's and women's and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.